From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we welcome you again to Open Line Thursday here on EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Jack uh, Williams is away today. He'll be back uh, tomorrow. I'm Tom Price along with our Thursday host, uh, Dominican Father Brian Mullady. How are you today, Padre? Oh, I'm just peachy, thank you. So glad, except for the lack of of rain. So you're getting some extra pollen, right? Yeah, but it's wonderful to see the sun, at least, for a change. That is a wonderful thing. Let me give you the uh, phone numbers here, and then we'll get to uh, today's topic and your phone calls. And that number is 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question about the Catholic faith, for Father Brian, 833-288-3986. If you're watching us today on on EWTN, well, uh, perhaps on Facebook or YouTube, we're streaming there right now. Just put your question in the comments box, and our uh, social media guru, Jeff Burson, will see that. He'll pass it on to us here in the studio, and we'll get your question on the air. Again, our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. So, Father, we are still in the season of Easter, so we're going to talk today about grace and conversion, right? Right. Well... Uh, basically the whole of the Easter season uh, is about conversion of heart because the first reading we almost always read is in the Acts of the Apostles. And it has to do with how the Apostles converted people. They were sent out into the whole world to convert. There are accounts of conversion and the psychology of conversion in the Gospels of the New Testament the most important one is the one of Jesus' first converts, who is, of course, the Samaritan woman. And then you have the conversion of the centurion, who is a pagan, really, but a sympathizer with the Jews, and has begun, you could say, if you want, the process of conversion because he loves the synagogue and loves the Jewish law. But he has not been circumcised, obviously a painful experience as an adult. So you come to the Acts of the Apostles, where the very first uh, experience of preaching, which is the one on Pentecost, which is what we're preparing for actually, has lots and lots of people being converted. So that the life of the risen Lord basically goes throughout the whole Mediterranean world. It begins with Jerusalem, but it ends in Rome. And of course, during this uh, journey, if you want to put it that way, of the realization of the church and the preaching of the church concerning grace, various people experience conversion of heart in various ways. And all of the basic foundational traditions of our church are addressed so that the nature 
of the church is finally made clear as opposed to Israel after all the experience of the apostles going through the Mediterranean world to, of course, arrive, as I say, at Rome, where, of course, both Peter and Paul, central figures in the Acts of the Apostles, will be martyred. But in their martyrdom, though the mission, their mission ends, they've obviously established their mission well enough so that this can be reflected now in the mission of the church at large. Today we have a conversion of heart in the gospel passage, or the first reading, I should say, from the Acts of the Apostles, which is I've always found very interesting. I don't know about you, but it's the famous conversion of the eunuch for the court of the Candace, who was the Ethiopian queen. Oh, yeah. By Philip. And if you remember, Philip just sort of appears in the desert mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. while this man is uh, being on a journey, presumably from Jerusalem back to, to Ethiopia. And he goes up to him, and he hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah. So this already is a preparation for conversion of heart and to Christ. So then the Candace, the eunuch says, I don't have anyone to explain this passage to me. Can you explain it to me? And then Philip does that. His reaction is very interesting. He wants to be baptized. Mm -hmm. But as you recall, Philip isn't too enthusiastic. <laughs> uh, at, at that moment, he perhaps wants him to have more catechesis. And the man says, wait a minute, there's water right here. What's the matter with my being baptized? Right here and now. So then he baptizes him, and then he disappears. Now this illustrates several things. First of all, that the initiative in every conversion is always God's. It's a work of grace. In the process of justification, which we reflected at the Easter Vigil, there's basically, first of all, in uh, time, displeasure from sin. Then there's a turning away from sin. Then there's a turning toward God. And then there's finally an acceptance of faith. All four of those things are necessary. And we, of course, don't think about it so much as the process of time mm -hmm. like this. Because most of us were baptized as babies. We didn't have to go through the prior catechesis where, like this man, we study the scripture, even though he's a pagan, and we go to the stream and ask to be baptized. Instead, for us as children, we were baptized. And then our catechesis came after. It's one of the problems we have in our church today that we baptize lots and lots of babies, and that's a good thing to save them from original sin. But the trouble is that there's no catechesis that follows it up. Mm, yeah. So you can see in the psychology of conversion here that you have both sanctifying grace and actual grace at work. Actual grace leads Philip to the desert. He also leads Philip to instruct 
this court official mm-hmm. in the true meaning of the Old Testament, then God enlightens the mind and strengthens the will of this person to accept baptism, ask for baptism. And then finally, he experiences baptism in which process, at the end of it, he experiences not only the forgiveness of sins, but also union and communion with God. The union and communion with God is so important that uh, the prayer today for the Mass, for example, at the uh, offertory says, O God, who by the wonderful exchange effected in this sacrifice have made us partakers of the one supreme Godhead, grant, we pray, that as we have come to know your truth, we may make it ours by a worthy way of life. So we are entered into the mystery of being made a partaker in God's own nature and therefore a friend of the Holy Trinity. And because we love the Holy Trinity so much, then we have to act according to the love which we have, which presumably the court official, uh, the eunuch at the court of the Candace did. And not only that, but this experience of conversion of heart is so important that uh, it's not miraculous exactly because we're called to see God mm-hmm. because we have intelligence. It can be done in a miraculous way. Uh, as, for example, St. Paul, who hated the church and then immediately converted to love Christ and yes, the church. Yes, yes. But... Uh, it, and it can take a long time or a short time. As you remember St. Augustine, he was convinced of Christianity, but he didn't really accept baptism until he heard the famous words, take up and read, take up and read, and he read St. Paul. And yes. was converted by that. But what's most interesting is St. Thomas uh, says, quoting St. Augustine, that from one point of view, the justification of one soul is more valuable than all the heavens and earth put together. Wow. Father, thank you so much for your reflections. In a moment, we're going to get to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Calls are coming in right now on Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. Yours could be one of them at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Father Milady, just a week ago today, we were talking, you and I, about the 100th anniversary of the birth of our dear foundress, 
Mother Angelica. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a great great day, and you can uh, relive that day and find out all about Mother by going to our Mother Angelica Memorial. It's an EWTN website dedicated to Mother Angelica, where you can celebrate her remarkable life. It's filled with photos and milestones, heartfelt stories, and of course her wit and her words that have inspired the hearts of all ages throughout the year. So here's how you get there. Go to EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica today. That's EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica. We're going to get to the phones in just a moment. Uh, First, Father, let's lead off with this question, an email from Stan. What are the respective effects that baptism, confession, divine mercy, and plenary indulgences what what effects do these have on our sin? Oh, gee, four things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, of course, baptism is the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. And when you're baptized, you receive not only sanctifying grace, but you also receive all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you also receive all of the infused virtues, which would be... Uh, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude infused, and faith, hope, and charity infused. Um, what was the next one? <laughs> well, let's see. There was baptism. There was also confession, divine mercy, oh, and plenary con- indulgences. Okay. Confession is um, the restoration of our soul mm-hmm. through the grace of baptism when it's been lost through sin. Now, of course, it's also a salutary thing to uh, discuss your uh, soul and its challenges, which is what venial sins basically are, with a confessor to help you to support you. As to divine mercy, that's merely a devotion. It depends on the devotion of the uh, person who performs it. All right. It could strengthen in you your experience of conversion of heart. Okay. But it, 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 in itself, it has effects like every other devotion does, mm-hmm. which depend on your faith and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and what was the last one again? Uh, I'm plenary, sorry. plenary indulgences. Oh, plenary indulgence. Okay, now this is a little complicated because in every sin, you have the actual deed... And then you have its effects. Now, suppose I had a dear friend. We were very close. And this friend had a Ferrari. Okay. That they prize as their most prized possession. And I become very angry with my friend. Stupidly so. And I take a sledgehammer and break up the Ferrari. I'm filled with instant remorse and so I beg my friend to forgive me, and he's an especially forgiving person, and he does. But there's still two things that remain to be resolved for things to be totally right. One is that I have to examine myself how I could possibly be so um, ungrateful. And the second is I have to examine, well, replace the Ferrari somehow. Yeah, yeah. So in every sin, you have the offense against God, which is forbidden uh, or forgiven in confession. That's like asking my friend to forgive me. Sure. 
Then you have the effects in yourself and the effects of what you've done. Let's say you've destroyed someone's reputation in unfair gossip. Mm -hmm. And you've done this because of motives of envy and revenge. Well, you have to address your desires for envy and revenge. What could possibly be their reason in you? And then somehow you have to destroy or restore their reputation. You can do that on earth by positive acts, but once you die, you can't. Okay. So uh, in purgatory... We atone for what's called temporal punishment for sin, which would be those side effects. Plenary indulgences are where through love of Christ, by union with Christ, we can apply his love and his merits to help people to resolve these issues in them. And in the case of the plenary indulgence, it resolves it completely. All right, and uh, Stan, thanks so much uh, for your email. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. We had a great call standing by. Unfortunately, the phone system uh, dropped somehow. Hopefully that person will call us back. We do have a question here from Collins in Illinois who says, Does transubstanti- transubstantiation require apostolic succession, or can I transubstantiate in my home with my family? <laughs> Well, transubstantiation is one of the miracle of miracles. Yeah. Because you change the bread and wine totally, completely, and in every respect, except in its appearances in the body, blood, soul, and the divinity of Christ. Do you think you can do that in your house without any uh, man, uh, ordination? <laughs> I, I doubt it. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. We don't have the power. It's a power that has to be conferred upon us by union with Christ, which is normally done through ordination. And the ordination, of course, to be valid has to be by a bishop who truly experiences apostolic succession. Yeah. And there it is. Collins in Illinois, thanks so much uh, for your question. Chris says, how do we refute the claims that the Old Testament plagiarized old pagan religions? I don't quite understand what you mean by religions. It certainly did... Uh, perhaps old pagan practices, perhaps. Practice or even philosophy. Uh-huh. Uh, the, obviously, the wisdom literature is loaded with references to Greek philosophy. Uh, well, it's like anything else. It's a prelude to the fullness of revelation in Christ. Mm-hmm. And just as St. Paul, remember... Use the a poet in him we live and move and have our being mm-hmm. in, the, in the Athenian uh, Areopagus on the, on the Acropolis, and he also referred to the unknown god of the Athenians. Yes, because <laughs> they had lots of statues of gods, but there was a one altar that was to an unknown god, mm. and said, "Well, that's that's the one I'm talking about, Christ." <laughs> uh, it's the same way we use what's true anything that's true in the world to help people to understand what we're saying when it comes to Christianity. Sure. Appreciate that. And uh, thank you, uh, Chris, for your question here on Open Line Thursday on EWTN. Lines are open for you at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Brian Milady, 833-288-3986. So here's an interesting question from Jeremy. He says, A friend said he would convert if I could prove the existence of God. What should I say? 
well, uh, ask him to look at the world of nature and to try to discern how such an ordered universe could possibly come about if there were not an ordering mind behind it. Yeah. The same is true of the order of the human body. We we know very little uh, about the human body. That's why doctors who have a lot of knowledge about it often make mistakes because it's a very mysterious thing, but it's an ordered thing. And it's kind of uh, fantastic how deep the order actually is. Now, of course, the big objection is why the, the innocent suffer. And that's something where, you again, you have to try to find a way to demonstrate to him that this is not due to God, as, at least as far as his active will. Mm -hmm. He merely permits it to happen, and usually for a further or higher purpose. In fact, uh, the great book about this in the Old Testament is, of course, the book of Job. Why the wicked prosper and the uh, good don't. Yes. And St. Thomas, when he talks about this book, he says, well, the reason the wicked prosper is because God knows they have no hope except in material goods. And if mm -hmm. he took material goods, then they despair completely. Yeah. The reason the good can be deprived and suffer is that they don't, they're not materialists. And so even though it causes them great suffering, they won't despair. They'll realize that there are higher and deeper goods in the world, like heaven, for instance, uh, to which they're called. So anyway, that's one explanation. But uh, you know, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. It's very difficult. You have to convince yourself to be an atheist. And usually I think you convince yourself to do that because of the suffering of the, of the good. Mm, I guess so. Uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for your question. Interesting one here from Grace. My friend does not believe in objective truth or the infallibility of the church. What should I say to my friend to convince him? Well, if he doesn't believe in objective truth, what sense does his statement make? Yeah. Uh, to say I don't believe in objective truth is to have reference to objective truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the axiom of non-contradiction. In metaphysics, uh, you can both be and not be the same thing at the same time in the same respect. You can't prove it. But Aristotle says, deny it and then try to make a statement. Yeah, good <laughs> even luck. The very, even, even by the very fact that I say, I deny the axiom of non-contradiction, that's affirming it. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's um, what you have to think about. And um, the, the, oh, and the infallibility of the church, was mm -hmm. that the other yes, part of the question? Yes. Uh -huh. Well, the infallibility of the church, I think people have a very strange idea of what we're teaching when we teach that. Uh, the infallibility, the word in German, means not only that what you say is true, but that you're good in saying it. Now, obviously, a lot of the Germans denied the infallibility of the Pope, because not all the Popes were perfect people, mm. right? Oh, yeah. And um, so, but it, what fallibility basically means 
is that God, by his help, will guarantee certain people that he has given this gift to, connected to an office, and that's especially true of the papacy, but it's true of the College of Bishops in general, too. However, the papacy is the only bishop that can speak for the College of Bishops. Right. So uh, he has done this uh, in order for us to have unity of doctrine. Appreciate that. Uh, Grace, thanks so much uh, for your email. We'll get back to the phones here after the break. 833-288-EWTN. We'll talk with Nick in Virginia in just a moment. 833-288-3986. Open line Thursday with Father Brian Milady on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Glad you're with us, and we've got open lines for you. That's why we call it Open Line, 833-288-EWTN is that number, 833-288-3986, if you have a question for Brother Father Brian Milady. Let's go to Nick in Virginia, listening on Sirius XM, Channel 130. Hey, Nick, what's on your mind today, sir? Hi. Hi. Hello, Father. Um, so I have a question. So I'm new to uh, Christianity. I've looked at 48 years of a very secular, non-religious life, um, up until about a year ago. But I was very little. I remember being baptized while I was between parents. I mean, I was maybe five or six. Um, now, does that mean I cannot be baptized again in the Catholic Church? Well, yes, except that there has to be a record of it, and... Uh... You know, sometimes there isn't any record, and so for the sake of the legalities, sometimes they do it another time. But, uh, no, once you receive baptism, you've received it. And remember, anybody can baptize a person. It doesn't have to be a clergyman. Someone just in the, at the beginning of the program asked you about saying the Eucharist. Well, they can't do that, but they can certainly baptize people. Mm. Uh, so important is baptism for salvation that it doesn't depend on any kind of clerical state or anything. Um, now, of course, it's not a good idea to baptize people against the will of the parents. Some well-meaning nurses used to do that for babies oh, yeah. who were Jewish and mm-hmm. stuff. Because you introduce them into all these obligations they may never be able to fulfill. But anyone can baptize a person. Yeah. Uh, Nick, is that helpful for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of disappointing, but what yeah. you would well, if you were if you were to join the Catholic Church, you'd have to talk to the priest about what the circumstances were your first baptism. But what you can do is what you have to do is make a profession of faith, which is not the same as baptism as a, as the uh, pouring in the water and things, but it's a public avowal of your belief. So the best thing here for you, Nick, I'm, I'm thinking, is to uh, ha- have a chat with that priest and uh, just, just lay out exactly what you've laid out for us, and hopefully uh, that'll get things going. Thanks so much for your call. Uh, we have a line open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Interesting question here, Father, from Kevin, who says, Is it a sin to question the teachings of Jesus? Well, it depends on what you mean by question. Yeah. Uh, if by questioning you mean doubt, yes. If by questioning you mean you want more information, well, that's what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, many well-meaning people 
have interpreted questioning more for more information mm -hmm. to be the same as doubt sometimes. Mm. And uh, it, it, the fact, it's like you check your brain at the door, which Catholicism has never agreed with. But unfortunately, as I say, well-meaning people who were trying to encourage a person to ha have a better life, an easier life, have placed them in situations where they're not allowed to ask questions. Uh, I think of a sister many years ago. She was in the original in the 30s. She entered the convent. And in those days when they made a mistake in her community, they had to prostrate themselves on the floor at the door of the refectory, and all the sisters walked over them on the way into the dining room. Wow. So, oh, that was common. Mm. So anyway, so she was prostrate at the door, and all these sisters walked over. And the last one in line was the novice mistress. Uh -huh. And so she said, well, what did you do? I wasn't there for this. What did you do? And she said, well, Mother, I just thought. She says, hold it, hold it. That was your first big mistake, thinking. <laughs> I want no thinking in this convent. <laughs> funny, funny. Yeah. Wow. But um, as I say, they, they meant well. Yeah. But unfortunately, the way they presented things was often uh, not correct. Sure. Uh, one, uh, you know, Cardinal Newman used to talk about honest doubts. You know, mm. um, so y you could doubt in the sense that you, you want to know. You want to know the truth. You, you have difficulty believing. Sure. And see, faith is this peculiar virtue because it's more controlled by the will and the intellect. So that's why in, in faith you can really believe in something on one level of your being. And on another level, wonder if it's true or not. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Who knows if it's true or not? <laughs> and so to... Uh, a question is uh, necessary sometimes to learn. That's St. Thomas, interestingly enough, you may remember, the Summa's divided into questions. Mm. Uh, it's all, uh, now of course, question there means topic, right. partially. But there was nothing wrong with questioning, provided you weren't trying to overturn the faith or something sure, like that, but sure. you really wanted more knowledge. Yeah. You know? Well, Kevin, thanks so much uh, for your question. Here is Jason now, a first-time caller from Michigan, listening on iHeartRadio. Hey, Jason, what's on your mind today, sir? Uh, yeah, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was wondering, uh, is there any references in the New Testament or the Old Testament, say, of, or maybe in the New Testament, of the disciples praying to saints or other entities other than God? Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> they really didn't have saints back then yet. And part of the reason is because the gates of heaven had been opened yet. Mm, yeah. Uh, once that happens, uh, the church generally invokes holy people to help help you. And uh, if, you, if you're reflecting the Protestant objection, because it is in Scripture by name, we don't, we don't have to believe in it. I think that's silly myself. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you want to have companions on your journey? To well, sure, sure. You want companions on your journey to earth, and, and you want people to uh, 
help and support you in your everyday life. Well, that's all the saints are doing. And I remember when it came to Mary, uh, I think I've told this story before. I had an evangelical friend, and a very good guy, but uh, quite tough, I'll tell you. Mm. And one day he asked me, he said, what's this Mary bit with you people anyway? <laughs> and so I said, well, do you believe in Scripture? Uh-huh. Literal interpretation? Uh-huh. I said, well, it says in Scripture, all generations will call me blessed. That's all we're doing. And he went, gee, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> Very yeah. puzzled. Yeah. There you go. No, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, the cult of saints is something that grows up. It's true there are saints in the Old Testament. St. Paul enumerates them all, a lot of them, by the mm -hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so there is an example in the New Testament, and that's in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, <laughs> just read chapter 11. You'll have all the saints of the Old Testament enumerated. Then Paul says, but though these people were justified by their faith, they look forward to what we have actually seen. Mm, beautiful. Jason, thanks so much for your call. It is Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. Still time for you to jump in at 833-288-EWTN if you have a question for Father Brian. 833-288-3986. Lulu is watching us on YouTube this afternoon, Father. Lulu says, when someone doesn't believe in God and then dies, does that person get to see God on the throne in his judgment or does the person just burn in hell without looking up at God? <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what the, the common opinion is about this. Okay. The, of course, you have your personal judgment when you die. It's hidden. No one else knows it but you and Christ. However, at the end of time, uh, there'll be a whole assembly of creation and that will include all the people who have gone before us. And our personal judge will be made public then. So that all the assembled creation will know what good you did and what wickedness you did. Uh, at that time, according to St. Thomas, the just will see both Christ in his human nature and his divine nature. The wicked will only see Christ in his human nature. Hmm. And so they, they won't have a full experience of Christ when he pronounces the judgment over them. So it depends on what you mean by see God. If you mean see God in the, the classic sense, which is as uh, Christ as both human and divine, the people that don't believe in him obviously won't say that because they don't believe in it. Yeah. However, if you mean Christ as human only, the judgment will be pronounced by him. It's very clear about that in the book of Revelation. And uh, so you will see his human nature. Yeah. Okay. So Lulu, thank you so much for your question. Glad that you're watching us this afternoon on YouTube. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN Radio. 
And I do want to remind you about one of our wonderful weekend programs, and that is called Women Made New, real talk from Kristalina Everett and her guests, all about Catholic marriage and family in the 21st century. And it's a wonderful program. Do check it out. Uh, check your local listings, or you can go to EWTNradio.net to find out the airtime for that. Uh, speaking generically, it's Saturday at noon Eastern right here on EWTN. By the way, her new book is now available, Reflections of Adversity, Transformation, and Healing. Again, it too is called Women Made New. That book available at EWTN rc.com. But do check out the radio show. It is fantastic. Saturday afternoon, noon Eastern, right here on EWTN Radio. We'll get back to the phones in a moment. First, this email from Jeremy. Father, what does it mean to, quote, offer Jesus? Um, I'm not sure where they're going with that. Well, I'm not sure what the reference is. Where yeah. does it say we offer Jesus? Um, we offer the the um, the, the gifts, uh-huh. the mass, and things like that. Yes, and they become Jesus in the sense that Jesus is a victim. I suppose you could say we offer him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also a priest, and he's the priest and the victim. So it's he who offers himself, not we who offer him. Okay. That, as far as I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. And here's one now from Bryant. What is your advice for someone deciding between following Catholicism or atheism? <laughs> yeah. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> uh, my advice is that you're bucking up the wrong tree completely to try to follow atheism. Uh, although I, I admit that the contemporary world is loaded with it. Oh, yeah. But how are we doing spiritually? Uh, we have all kinds of people committing suicide, children, drug addiction, all mm. these things, all by people who basically what they really want is God. But they, they refuse to admit him because then they'll have to alter their behavior. Yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there you go. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Brian, for your question. Back to the phones now for Stacy. Stacy is listening in Virginia on the great Guadalupe Radio. Hello, Stacy. What's on your mind today? Hello, Mr. Price, and hello, Father Malehe. This is wonderful to be able to talk to you. I'm calling in regards to my daughter. So we have been Catholic for about six years, and she is graduating from a wonderful place um, out in California that teaches um, about Aquinas and really kind of grabs hold of you in a way that um, um, uh, it's with faith and reason. Okay. But what, so her um, confessions are what the difficulty, and I've gotten support through EWTN on this before, but it seems as if there is, she has these voices, and these voices seem to take over in her confessions. And so it turns that she, when she's in the confessional, she's really not able to listen and understand what she's really... She's done two general confessions, and um, she struggles with this. Um, I think it's beyond uh, moral scrupulosity. I think it has to do with how does she get beyond listening to these voices, um, like the um, pre-screener was telling me, how does she do that so she can really make um, an act of um, 
um, knowing that she's going to be um, set free of all this, knowing that that's going to set her, you know, to clean her slate instead of always carry it. Um, there seems to be something that's um, not lining up for her in that regard. Oh, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, look, as long as she has the intention to confess her sins, you don't have to worry about them being forgiven. However, this voice business is very troubling, and you need to talk to the priest about it, and you need to talk to a priest who is, I don't hate to put it this way, but a little more ordinary about things and not always looking for the occult, because it's possible that more is needed here, and I don't quite understand why this person is experiencing this. Uh, she obviously doesn't like it. She obviously has invited herself into it. And I have a feeling you're talking about Thomas Aquinas College. And they're very good at their education part. But they don't really have a, any classes in spiritual theology. So they don't really know much about spiritual life as such. They know what the priests have teach them, but the priest's teaching is quite limited by time and constraints and things there. So um, she needs to investigate this more with the priest, and they need to determine some kind of strategy together. Stacy, we hope that's helpful for you and your daughter. Thanks so much for your call. Let's go to Marianne in Maryland, also listening on Guadalupe Radio. Marianne, what's on your mind today? Oh, yes. Hi. Um, Yeah, maybe to elaborate, as far as offering Jesus, it occurred to me when we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, you know, Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Right, right. Uh, That that could be where the previous questioner was going. Yes. Uh Well, we don't obviously offer it in the strict sense of the word. Um, The Revelations of St. Faustina, mm-hmm. notwithstanding. Uh, what we, I believe, my understanding is that you're merely uh, repeating what the Church does generally. Ah. And uh, it's, it's obviously we're not having Mass there or whatever. And it's an offering in a more general sense, not in the strict sense of the word, of a sacrifice given for the virtue of religion. Mm. Okay. Very good. And thanks for that call. Appreciate that, Marianne. It is Open Line Thursday here on EWTN Radio. Question now from Josh, Father. Josh says, do all souls in purgatory end up going to heaven? At death, is the person's condition just before death the deciding factor in their salvation? Or is there time to choose after you die? No choosing after you die. Your will is fixed at your death. Okay. There's no more merit or demerit possible after death. So, yes, all the souls of purgatory go to heaven. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. Okay. It's the temporal punishment, not eternal punishment. Temporal punishment due to sin that they are seeking to resolve. 
Okay. And uh, while we're on that topic, let's uh, get this question from Leah. Why should I believe in purgatory? And why should I pray for the souls in purgatory? You should believe in purgatory because it's a very wholesome doctrine, number one. It allows us to realize that we will not get away with things we did on earth. Mm. That we somewhere, some kind of restitution has to be made. And also... Uh, we can do that for others to the union of love, which is an especially loving thing to do. And it's a merciless thing to suggest that we, by our prayers, can't have some influence over what happens to people after death. And partly that's the case because of Maccabees, where it's stated it's a holy and wholesome thing to pray for the dead. If the dead were in hell, praying for them wouldn't have, have any effect. If they're in heaven, they don't need it. So there's obviously some second, third place where uh, our um, wholesome and holy prayers for the dead mm -hmm. help and support them. Okay. Very good. And this one, a bit of a technical question here, and I hope that I pronounce these words correctly. This is from Simon. Why does the Church state that Diophilitism was the correct view of Christ rather than monothelitism. And I know I mangled at that time. All right. Well, the monothelites were people that believed that there was only one will in Christ. Hmm. Um, this was a matter of great debate after the Council of Nicaea. And the church's solution was... Since there are two natures in Christ, mm -hmm. there have to be two wills. Because each nature has what's characteristic of it. Those wills are in communion with each other, but Christ has a divine will he shares with the Father, and he has a human will which is unique to himself. And it's in the human will where obedience occurs. So if Christ didn't have a human will, he couldn't be perfectly obedient. Hmm. And if he didn't have a divine will, he couldn't do the will of his Father. Sure. So it makes great sense. But it was a more um, esoteric debate. And I believe it, um, I can't remember the council's name. I think it was Constantinople that finally defined it. Um, but uh, it also is the source of the, I believe, the famous um, heresy of, well, there was a long debate about whether any pope had ever taught anything heretical ah. in Vatican I, and there was a celebrated case, Pope Honorius, who came down for one will in Christ. But again, what that means in the context is something you have to debate. So when Leo the, uh, Pope Leo came along afterwards, he just accused him of something like unseemly speech or something mm, like that. Okay. Right. And I, I think it's the Tome of Leo where the two wills were delineated because the two natures were delineated. Ah. Yeah. Okay, fascinating. Simon, thanks for your email. Here's one now from Andrew. God uses pain to punish bad people, but why does he allow natural disasters? Well, first of all, he allows natural disasters because that's the nature of matter. Mm, yeah. You know, obviously we've had all these storms here yeah. this year 
that have led to flooding and things like that. But if we never had any storms, we wouldn't have any water. And if we didn't have any water, we'd all die. Yep. Because uh, rain is important for the earth. Now, of course, we, we'd like to have a lot less than we had recently. But you remember what's so weird about California is it was suffering from a drought for years. Now it has so much water, it's flooded and inundated. Yeah, yeah. But they did need the rain. Mm. And regarding the cities, it's a good thing because the reservoirs are finally more or less filled up again, at least for a while. Yeah. So that's the reason. One thing's good in matter. One thing's good is another thing's evil. So a lion's good is a lamb's evil when the lion eats the lamb. Mm. But the lion couldn't survive without the lamb. And so uh, that's the reason those things occur. Very good. And uh, this one now from Paula. What does apostolic succession look like? And is it about geography or about doctrinal agreement? Uh, neither. Okay. <laughs> okay. Apostolic succession is about one bishop passing on his authority to another through the laying on of hands. Sure, sure. It has absolutely nothing to do, as far as I can tell, with geography, number one. Unless you mean by that because di the world is divided into dioceses. Maybe that's what they meant. Maybe that's what they meant. See, people, when they ask these questions, they're not always clear about what they mean. And uh, so uh, I, I, it's hard to it left field one sentence question when you don't know the context. Sure, okay? sure. But anyway, if that's what you mean, uh, only in the sense that bishops have territory involved in them. And it doesn't look like anything except uh, the right of ordination. One person is entered into the College of Bishops, uh -huh. which enables them to participate in union with the apostles and apostolic succession. All right, plain and simple. Father Brian, could you uh, leave us with your blessing, please? May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Be sure to join us tomorrow at the same time for Open Line Friday. It will be our Vice President for Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, to answer all of your questions of a theological nature. Uh, until then, I'm Tom Price along with Father Brian Milady. Thanks for joining us today on Open Line Thursday here on EWTN. Have a wonderful day. God bless.